On this episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, we have a panel discussion with some of our podcast patron members recorded after one of our weekly drop-in sessions. The discussion focused on how ASCs are working to retain staff by improving morale, as well as some unique ways to recruit new staff. Welcome to the AC Podcast with John Gailey, the longest-running podcast specifically focused on the freestanding ambulatory surgery industry. This episode is sponsored by Surgical Information Systems, providing cutting-edge information solutions for surgery providers and ambulatory healthcare strategies, the nation's leading regulatory compliance resource for ambulatory surgery centers. For more information about our sponsors, please visit our website at ASCPodcast.com. Welcome to episode 157 of the ASC podcast with John Gailey for May 2nd, 2022, recording from our studio in Spencerport, New York. This is Sue Cronkite, Chief Researcher for the ASC podcast with John Gailey and Senior Nurse Consultant for Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. The ASC regulatory environment is extremely dynamic and the material provided in this episode is based on information available as of the date of the recording. Joining me is John Gailey, the owner of Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies, and recognized as one of the nation's leading experts in the ambulatory surgery industry. Mr. Gailey is the author of over 10 books on the ASC industry and a frequent industry speaker on regulatory accreditation and finance issues. So, Sue, we're recording from, uh, not actually from our studio, we're recording from other part of the house because you and I are socially distancing because uh, I've had an exposure to somebody with COVID and you have not. So we wanted to protect each other here. So uh, uh, we apologize to our listeners for this introduction, which we had to record uh, outside of the studio here. Uh, So the sound quality would be a little bit better. But, you know, Sue, uh, as part of our patron program, as you well know, we uh, have a weekly drop-in session. Uh, So the patrons, of course, help support our, you know, the ASC podcast with John Galen. We're very appreciative of all that. We currently have about 130 patrons. And every Saturday morning, uh, generally, we have other days too, periodically, but generally every Saturday morning, we get together with a a group. You know, sometimes the group is small. Sometimes we've had up to 15 people on it. And uh, we have a great opportunity to talk about things that are kind of important to to our listeners. We're always talking about some uh, survey that uh, somebody recently had. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, Sue, you and I and uh, other employees at Ambitory Healthcare Strategies kind of uh, talk about some experiences we might have had during the last week. Yeah, it's a great opportunity because they get to, you know, have access to you and often mm-hmm. Lori Rodericks is there and Ann Geyer and just each other. You know, they get to they've really bonded a lot of the, yeah. the members when we talk every Saturday and can bounce ideas off of each other. And we benefit a lot from it because we hear of so many good ideas either ideas or questions that we hadn't thought of, things that we want to address in the podcast. And, you know, that's kind of what happened here. Yeah. And you're, you're also uh, always frantically taking notes during the, uh, during the discussion <laughs> as we try to pick up on things that we might be doing. A couple of things that have come out of it. We, we are working on, for example, uh, there was a suggestion that we do a, uh, 
educational program, like a 15-minute educational program video uh, uh, for members of the governing body that would be used to, to meet the requirements of annual education to the governing body on governing body requirements. In other words, what the regulations require for the governing body. So we're working on that. And another exciting thing that we've been talking about, Sue, so we talked about it quite a bit during ASCA 2022. You weren't there um, with it, but putting together a video to try to recruit uh, staff. Uh-huh. To ambulatory surgery centers, uh, you know, put it on social media such as Facebook and and uh, LinkedIn. So uh, that is something that's in the works right now, and our our actors and actresses and uh, scriptwriters are working on that one. Sue, I don't know if you heard this. They they were thinking about making it a musical. So I I I'm not quite <laughs> sure that that's going to work that way. But uh, um, I don't know. It could be. We have could some be very innovative staff. <laughs> Uh, so a few weeks ago, during one of our Saturday drop-in sessions, uh, toward the end of, of the drop-in session, there was a big discussion ab- about what people were doing to keep staff happy. And so you and I were sitting next to each other, uh, you know, listening to this, and we kind of looked at each other, had this aha moment that let's uh, let's record this and turn it into a, a panel discussion. Yeah, because that's a constant. Obviously, it's an issue for everybody. And a lot of the patrons had good ideas about how either keeping their own staff happy, because, you know, that's a huge part of the battle if you don't lose anybody. Right. Um, And also just different ways to reach out to the community to try to recruit new nurses or other staff. It's not just nurses, it's techs, it's administrative, it's kind of everybody right now. Yeah. And and, uh, so what we did is we actually, uh, we told everybody, okay, hold the conversation (laughs) And uh, the next day on uh, the, it was a Monday after that, we sent an email out to all the patron members and said, whoever wants to show up at five o'clock on uh, Monday, you know, and we set up a Zoom session. The, the recording, of course, is only audio, uh, but we set up a Zoom session. And we we're able to uh, get quite a number of people to to, uh, to chime in on the conversation. So a uh, very great opportunity. Again, you know, I really encourage you to consider becoming a patron member. It's a very inexpensive option at the current time. It's $25 a month. It gives you access to uh, all kinds of information, you know, through our website, as well as uh, access to some of our conferences, uh, discounts on books, as well as uh, various uh, and, and, and conferences also that uh, are not free. And of course, this weekly drop-in session, which many think is the best part of the whole patron program, as well as helping to support the uh, the efforts of Sue and myself as we put together this uh, ongoing program that's been in existence for you know five years now. So let's take a short break and we'll come back and listen to our panel discussion on how to survive the staffing challenges in the amateur surgery industry. Our listener patron program, also known as ASC Central, has really taken off over the past 12 months, and we are so grateful to all of our over 100 members. Our patron members help support our efforts here on the podcast and get a number of great benefits also. The ASC Podcast with John Gailey is the longest-running podcast dedicated exclusively to the ASC industry. ASC Central provides members with a wealth of management tools and resources, including regular members-only Zoom sessions with John and other members to discuss relevant topics, quarterly Zoom meetings where we update patron members with important issues in the ASC industry, periodic study sessions for leaders that are planning on taking the CASC or CAPE exam, and access to a large database that includes federal regulations 
regulations, interpretive guidelines in the state regulations, checklists for administrators and nurse managers, example meeting minute templates, example policies and procedures, budgeting and financial projection tools, risk assessments, and example forms, and much, much more. Members also get discounts on books written by John Gailey, ranging from $10 to $80 per book, and can even schedule a personalized mock survey with John and save over $1,000. For more information and to access this additional content, please visit ASCPodcast.com or ASC-Central.com. So as many of you know, as part of our patron program, we have a Saturday drop-in session, what we call a drop-in session, where people show up at 10 o'clock on uh, Eastern uh, uh, Daylight Savings right now time to talk about various things that uh, are of importance to them or are or, or going on in their uh, surgery center. It's been, uh, it's been going on probably about a year and a half now, and we always have great conversations. And this last Saturday, Ann Geyer asked the question if anyone uh, had some suggestions for what they're doing regarding the staffing challenges we have now, because she has an upcoming speech. So what we decided to do is put together a panel of of our patrons here and other people that uh, you know we work with regularly to uh, to discuss this. And why don't you give an introduction as to what uh, why you brought this topic up in the first place? Okay. And John, thanks for putting this podcast together. I think this is going to be this is going to be great. I'm speaking at OR Excellence in the fall, and I'm speaking on staffing. I don't know if some of you know. I used to write a monthly staffing column for them when they first started the magazine, and they asked me to talk about staffing. And then Dan Cook, the editor, said, "And if you could." add suggestions that surgery centers could use that's going to make a real difference, things that other centers have tried, tips on how they're recruiting, unique ideas, things that they're doing that maybe other people haven't thought of. And I started thinking about it and I thought, because staffing conversations can be pretty boring. I mean, we're all there. We all can say, yes, we need more staff. And yes, we're having trouble finding them. What happened was when I asked what other people were doing, the ideas started pouring. And some of you on this call started coming up with, well, we're trying this or we're trying that. And this is what resulted in this panel. So what we're trying to do is to create, and I will give you all credit for this when we put this together, ideas that you're doing that other people could use that maybe they haven't thought of and there are no stupid ideas. So, you come up with whatever you're doing that may be different. And even if you don't think you're being you're different, maybe nobody else on this call has come up with it. So that's where we'll start. So why don't we just start with the issue of recruiting right now? I think it's a very, it's a very competitive market out there. It's very difficult to find uh, talent, nurses, techs, I'm hearing really across the board, even, even on the clerical side. Uh, so who wants to start this off with some uh, some ideas about how to recruit? Go ahead, Shane. Uh, so two things that I did for recruitment for my center when I first arrived two years ago was form relationships with a school of nursing and a school of surgical technology because we're in a very competitive market in the Richmond area. It's hard to find skilled surgical techs and nurses that don't want the hospital wages to, work, to come to the surgery center. Um, so we partnered with the schools and we've been pretty successful with surgical techs. The student nurses typically already have jobs lined up before they come to us. They come and spend, you know, they do their externships here at the center. 
Um, and then they do clinical rotations. So it's only been going on for a little bit over a year now that we've had that relationship. But we have been successful with surgical techs, which they're always hard to find here in the Richmond market. And our, for nursing, we've started recruiting by word of mouth and use, utilizing mm-hmm. our current employees and um, hiring med surge nurses yeah. that maybe not have any experience. We also hired an LPN that graduated as a, uh, as a nurse, as an RN, and she's done, done extremely well. So we use a program very similar to the ARN program. We buy them books. We have a dedicated preceptors. That's key that you can uh, keep the same, same couple of preceptors throughout their orientation. And we try not to put a, a timeline on that. We try to, you know, three to six months is ideal, but we also understand everybody's a little bit different in their pace of learning. So mm-hmm. we try to encourage them to, uh, in the preceptors to, you know, watch for milestones and we want to continue the improvement. But we also know that some people may take a little bit longer. Not everyone's going to fit the same mold. So those things that we've done for, you know, help our, and currently my center is fully staffed and that's a a great achievement for my staff. And we also really include this, get the engagement of our staff. And that's key when you hire new people. You really uh, do peer review, peer interviews and observation time before you actually submit someone an offer. So. Uh, and, and I also forgot, uh, Shane, can you introduce yourself uh, before you, uh, the first time you speak, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourselves. We, we all know everybody here, but uh, our audience doesn't. So I'm Shane Stanford. I'm administrator of St. Mary's Ambulatory Surgery Center in Richmond, Virginia. Thank you, Shane. I'm Andre Bragimoff. I'm the director of uh, Chicago Medicine Ingalls Ambulatory Surgery Center in Tinley Park. Those, uh, as Shin mentioned, excellent strategies. One of the things that we've tried in the past, uh, and, and it was relatively successful, um, the hiring banner on LinkedIn, uh, you can um, connect a position uh, on the LinkedIn and uh, post it on your own profile um, as a director. And then kind of, you know, my network is pretty extensive. And, you know, I had a few people kind of like that post and then reshared you know, like Andre is hiring and, um, you know, we had a few applicants, people reached out, you know, even if they didn't apply, they were asking like, oh, what's the position? You know, can you tell me more about that? So, and then I might know somebody, you know, I, I'm not interested myself, but I might know somebody. So that's one of the things that we've done. It was, um, um, we had a few, a few uh, applicants through that LinkedIn hiring banner. And, and Andre, along with that, LinkedIn is a very popular uh, site, and it really is important that you build up your group of network. Yeah, uh, yeah, your network. Yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to think yeah. what we call it in there. Yeah. Um, so you know, uh, uh, connect. If you go to my uh, LinkedIn page, I mean, I accept everybody. Um, you know, you can get a, a we would accept list. you even if he was more. Busy. That's right. Um, but uh, but what's nice on on that uh, is that you can see. I mean, I have three thousand followers, so mm. uh, many of them you can be pretty pretty sure are going to be uh, people in the field, and it's mm-hmm. not just administrators. There's a lot of uh, you know techs. There's uh, you know nurses, RNs. I mean, they're not all uh, leadership positions. There, that's a great idea. Yeah, and it looks like Katie's. Showing up and you look like you're, you're not freezing. <laughs> looks like we so. finally find you. Go ahead, Katie. I have a feeling what I was going to mention was just brought up as you're mentioning LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. I got uh, very as creative as I possibly could there for a while where I was randomly 
requesting folks on LinkedIn that I thought might meet the criteria of something I was looking for. Uh, also, when you know we post the jobs on on Indeed, just cold reaching out to folks that might possibly uh, have an interest. Uh, we also work with a, a staffing agency that specifically is trying to help people find their their forever home. Uh, mm-hmm. So we have a, a agreement worked out with them where you know they help us just identify a candidate and then we get to trial them out for 90 days kind of risk-free um uh, so you know the the candidate figures out if it's right for them we figure out it's right for us we do pay a premium on that 90 days Mm -hmm. uh but it's nice because you get to maybe take a little more risk on some of the candidates you wouldn't have considered in the past so so that's worked out really well for us as well Oh, that's well, a great idea because yeah, and I haven't heard that term there forever home. Other than <laughs> sounds like a, a recruit, you know, a, uh, getting adoption a, a, thing a, for, for foster dog. dogs or something. <laughs> but that is a great because even if you're paying more, you're getting something permanent, hopefully, mm-hmm. out of that. And mm-hmm. and I do want to ask you, can you um if you don't mind say where you're from and just kind of introduce yourself to people? <laughs> so my name is Katie. I am the administrator at a small pain management ambulatory surgery center in Austin, Texas. Okay, thanks, Katie. Where the big Tesla uh, mega factory is or gigafactory just op- is. Just opened up. That's, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, and, and also tagging on to that, uh, you're, you're talking about using a recruiting agency uh, here. That is, uh, it's expensive. You're right. But when you think about what they do for you and the fact that you can get rid of somebody, in other words, not continue with them without going through the firing process. Yeah. Um, many people say that that is actually money that's well spent. Yeah. That protection. Yeah. That's, so that's great important. idea. Yeah. yeah. Looks like Andre put his hand up again. Go ahead, ahead, Andre. You mentioned reaching out uh, cold calls. I um, just recently, um, we had an employee that applied two years ago and uh, we didn't hire her for whatever reason. And then, you know, as I was talking to our recruiter about those old resumes, she suggested that we go through them. I always keep the old resumes. Uh, and, yeah. you know, my notes about this candidate. And uh, we reached out to one of the candidates and she actually uh, was hired and she started recently. So highly recommend mm-hmm. keeping the old resumes and notes. And then, you know, if somebody you know, didn't work out for whatever reason, you know, several years ago, then you can try again. And uh, it was a very, very lucky cold call that we made for an honor. That is a great idea because a lot of people, if they've applied and haven't been accepted, they're probably not going to reach out to you again, but it may not have had anything to do with them. It just wasn't the right time. So reaching back out, that's a great idea. How about, how about using your own staff and the physicians as a recruiting tool also? Anybody have? A, yeah, go ahead, Shane. Hi, so not in this position, but my former position is uh, from a few years ago, we did little video ads, about 60 mm-hmm. seconds. And we had two pre-op nurses and two OR nurses just speak to um, what they, how they enjoyed working at the location that we're the surgery center, and this kind of why they chose to stay there with all the, as you said, it's very competitive market, but why they chose to stay with the surgery center at that time, and we also did um, open house cocktail out happy hour um, to draw draw people to the surgery center and just give them a tour of our surgery center after hours um that seemed to help that was done a few years ago 
Bribe them with food and drink. I was going to say, get them drunk, hand them the application. (laughs) Say, that used to be a tactic (laughs) we used in my hospital setting in the late in the early nineties. They used to do that once a month to to entice nurses. Now, Shane, when you put that, when you made the recording, did you put that out on LinkedIn or or what did you do with that? On a we had a website that Mm we bought with a domain name, and Mm -hmm. basically, if you searched, we had it fixed. If you did a Google search of nurses. It would pull up one of the top, um, you know, one of the top searches. So we had to pay for that, but it's it was well worth it. And then also, you know, utilizing Facebook, we took postcards and then we posted those on Facebook, Mm -hmm. sort of like free advertising of the surgery center and the needs. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, during one of our uh, something. Yeah, yeah, during one of our uh, patron uh, um, uh, drop-in sessions, somebody had brought up the idea of doing a like a, a 60 second slot that we could make encouraging people across the board uh, to uh, that we would put in the LinkedIn uh, under mm-hmm. the podcast and the AHS to just kind of show about the benefits of doing surgery. That's still in the works. We haven't done it yet. No. <laughs> we'll be reaching out to you guys again soon, probably to get some, uh, some pictures and some, uh, some video testimony there. I think that's a great idea. We have to, you know, all hands on deck here to try to recruit. And I am curious what, what people would say is the benefit of working at a surgery center as opposed to a hospital that might have higher pay. Cause those are things that we really have to promote. Yeah. I think what you're, what you're asking is what, what benefits have you been using that have really attracted yeah. people have convinced them to come to your environment than like mm-hmm. a hospital or or working for a school district. <laughs> Go ahead, Shane. So I think the biggest thing for us is the the feeling of working with a family yeah. is small. Mm-hmm. Four ORs, one procedure, and whereas in the hospital you have sixteen or twenty ORs, you don't know who you're working with. But yep. we have the same positions, the same staff, the same CRNAs. It's very routine. And you mm-hmm. develop, you know, we also do a lot of potlucks and fun activities throughout the year to support morale and retention. So it's just building that sense of unity and family that you in large organizations is hard to mm-hmm. develop. But in a surgery center, yeah. if you, you know, it's a little bit smaller space, more intimate so that you can develop those relationships with your staff and your uh, peers. Okay, thanks. Um, Andre? On the, on the operating room side, I think it's definitely um, no call and um, because I think that, you know, the folks that we work, uh, that work for us is really trying to get out of the call. Um, as nurses are exiting the hospital, the call requirement just becomes so burdensome and essentially, you know, agency nurses that go to the hospital can rarely take the call. So the call has to be spread among the um, the original staff and, uh, you know, I, I've heard many bad stories about the amount of call people take and small community hospitals and then people just essentially trying to get out of call. So that's one of the, I mean, no weekends and no holidays. Um, usually we are, you know, predictable, like Shane said, and I want to echo his uh, sentiment about predictability, know who you work with. You know, people have a lot of um, you know, favorite services and doctors they work with. And then, you know, there's definitely a family atmosphere. I've been in a few ORs in my career, and uh, that is, you know, small staff. You'll, you know, have less than 30 people in the entire center. 
and uh, people know very well each other, develop a relationship and becomes friends. So mm-hmm. those are the things that I think are attractive to ambulatory surgery center. That kind of transitions us. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Lori. You know, another thing um, for possibly recruiting and, and retaining along those lines, it's not just the family atmosphere and knowing everybody, but making sure that the applicants um, understand that they have a voice in what happens in the center as opposed to a hospital where it's so much bigger and there's a lot more um, levels you have to go through to implement changes or to get your opinions in, you know, because sometimes that's uh, a big deal. Having some autonomy to do your job might be something to consider putting on the plus side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. You can be part of the QI committee, you could be, you know, you can really enact some of these things that you see should change. Well, and I was going to go on to another topic, but it raises an interesting question here, which is, I, you know, I think it's very important as we're recruiting people that we're very upfront about the expectations and about the challenges. We've always mm-hmm. heard the stories about nurses over at hospitals who think that they'll come to a surgery center and it won't be as intense. And we all know that that is absolutely incorrect. Uh, does anybody have any uh, ideas or any uh, examples of how they've uh, they help to set the expectations right up front with uh, people that they're recruiting? Go ahead, Shane. You know, we have them come in and observe at least four hours, and we do very in-depth peer interviews so that the current staff get a chance to really spend some time with a potential candidate and get to know them and understand their background. And then we also, you know, have them go in the OR and pre-op pack. You observe the whole process. Because in, as you said, in opera and surgery centers, we have to wear many hats. So that's how we help to ensure that. Mm-hmm. No it helps surprise. them to see the pace too, Shane, because in four hours, they, they're going to see, especially if it's a busy day, they're going to see the pace is maybe not what they expected. And when you're doing the peer interviews, I always did those too. And I would tell them, I'm not going to sit in on these interviews. It's your opportunity to ask the staff whatever you want to ask them. And it's and they're going to tell you the way it really is. Because mm-hmm. to your point, we've had people who come and did the observations and decide this is not for them. So at the end yeah. of the day, it saved us the, you know, the cost of bringing on mm-hmm. new employees who may not have worked out in the very beginning. So That's mm-hmm. exactly right. True. Good idea. Okay, so let's move on to, I mean, we know how important it is to uh, to recruit, but of course, the best thing to do is to keep our staff from leaving us in the first place. And there's been a lot of talk in the uh, the press about uh, the big resignation, about people leaving their positions, about a huge uptick in the number of people leaving to go to other places. And we know it's a lot cheaper to keep somebody happy and keep somebody on your staff that you really want to have on your staff than to replace them. So what are some of your centers doing to try to to retain your staff? Any innovative ideas out there that uh, that you're doing? Other than the wonderful stuff that we're doing to keep our environment nice. But But let's talk a little bit about some of those things that you're doing. Go ahead, Katie. When I started... There are no vending machines in this whole building. <laughs> and uh, I don't think it was fully appreciated that the OR staff does not get to leave uh, the building typically. So one thing I I got uh, the, the um, approval for is to, to supply the break room with all the snacks and refreshments that, that the staff could possibly want from Topo Chico to, you know, the Pringles. <laughs> Uh, you know, they're very specific about what they want, but um, 
it's 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 been such a world of difference for them. Uh, just feeling that appreciation that you know we're taking care of them while they're working really hard throughout the day. And just to kind of touch upon the people that you do want in the building, I think really what a lot of that comes down to is also the management's ability to identify who's not the right people in the building Mm -hmm. and take action on that. So in my short tenure here, I've done a lot of work on weeding out those that do want to be on the bus and those that don't want to be on the bus. And my team is so grateful and so much more willing to work with that one or two less people uh, knowing that, you know, we're, we're doing what it needs, doing what needs to be done, excuse me, um, to get the right people on the bus. So it's just, it's yeah. completely changed our, our culture, our positivity, our, uh, you know, everyone's willing to pitch in because they know that, <laughs> that the right people are on the bus right now. So. Katie, that's a great point because a lot of managers are so afraid of having a vacancy that they keep bad employees on. And when push comes to shove and they finally let them go, the staff's ready to have a party. Right. And it's like, why did you wait so long? And it's it's management's fear that they're either going to have to staff or that what are we going to do? The other people, it's all going to fall on everybody else, but you are not doing anybody any favors. Yeah. And you bring up a, a great point. I, I We actually have an example right now. We have a center where they are trying to get rid of one of the uh, the charge nurses because many of the other uh, people that work for this particular charge nurse are not happy with them. The doctors have stepped in and said, no, you can't get rid of this person. Now, the problem is they're about to lose two or three nurses who have been complaining about this charge simply because the doctors want to keep that charge nurse, um, probably because the charge nurse does anything the doctors tell them to do. And we know the danger behind that, or just fearful of having that missing position without looking at the bigger picture. Great example, Katie. And I think that's extremely important. You know, a bad egg among your, uh, I can't come up with an analogy as soon knows I always screw them up, but one bad egg can really, uh, make for, make for a bad salad. I, I don't know. Is that, that's a unique one. Yes. Oh well, he has his very own brand of you know. I get I screw them up too, so I better I'm better off not trying. Anybody else? So one thing that we've done, we created a morale retention committee where the board had funded a certain amount of money that staff could use throughout the year, and they used a committee of different members of different parts of the surgery center, and they um, basically decide how to spend that money based. In, um, so one of the things they've done, they did an Easter egg hunt that was, that was very popular. They're playing a spring party and then they, uh, you know, lunches and other things throughout the year to um, build relationships with their peers and lighten the, some, you know, the busy days when there's, you know, provide lunch or whatever it may be that they deem. But the, but the key is empowering your staff. So they, mm-hmm. they basically drive that bus. I and, love yeah. that idea because and we, we think we have an idea of what they're going to want. But when you give them the budget for it and let them make the decision, that's a great idea, Shane. You know, we have one center, uh, well, actually we have a couple centers that actually provide lunch uh, to all the staff. And, and it's a catch-22 because people are happy that they, you know, get the lunch for free. Uh, but then again, the, the problems or the challenges that they have in putting together the weekly schedule, inevitably half the people still bring their lunches in because they don't like what was on the menu. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, to give them the power to make some of those decisions, yeah. I think, is is, uh, is a great concept. I think it kind of lost its power after people just got used to it. And yeah, it became you know, an expectation. Appreciate it quite as much. Yeah. 
So this is Peggy and Tori. Uh, we work at the Ashland Surgery Center in Ashland, Oregon. Um, so we're about three three hours before you guys. So it's still <laughs> middle of our work day. <laughs> um, yeah, we have a we have a lot of trouble over here uh, with staffing over here in Oregon. We text especially, but um, one of the things we have implemented recently was recognizing birthdays um, or work anniversaries and trying to be specific to things that they like. You know, certain um, gift cards to certain places or getting lunch for the day, but it's something that's maybe their favorite food. Yeah. Um, just something that I just recognizes them. And Again, it really gets back to you. You mentioned it, uh, Tori, you know, ask them what, what are their favorite foods? You know, what do they like? Mm-hmm. I love that. Instead of trying to guess what somebody wants, you know, try to, uh, you know, ask them yeah. and tell them that you want to do something nice. Go ahead, Laurie. You know, another way you can always do it is you could celebrate birthday months. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in that way it's, for the group, you yeah. can always have a list or a card with everybody's name whose birthday is that month, but it's mm-hmm. not, you know, unless, of course, it's, they're the only one that month. And no matter what you lose, um, yeah. but, you know, that way, I would just advise not to put their names on the cake in the unlikely event you forget one, and That's then right. you have a very sad, bad person, yeah. yes. you know. <laughs> That's wondering, yeah. are they fired? <laughs> <laughs> this is how we're telling you. <laughs> Go ahead, Andre. In our leadership team, we actually uh, did a little book club, and one of the books that we've read together was The Power of the Moment by Cheap Heath and Dan Heath. And in that book, they kind of emphasize how the start of the job is really important because people will remember that. Essentially, people remember it like the start and the end. They don't remember the middle very much, but the start and the end, people remember. So we decided that we, you know, we're going to really try to make the start of the, some, the first day of somebody's Mm. you know job really special so essentially you know we buy them lunch we have a card um you know welcome card and you know everybody signs it we'll give them a small gift card you know and uh, it's it sounds pretty trivial but it made a big difference and you know all the people that starts with us and they say we've never experienced anything like that you know the card is very very popular people Mm -hmm. you know hang on to them so i think that uh you know, I highly recommend the book. It's actually very funny. And uh, what was well, the name of the book, Andre? It's called "The Power of the Moment." Okay. It, you could, it's a, it's a like a blue cover with a with a mason jar and a lightning inside. It's very hard to miss. Okay. We'll put okay. A link to it on the yeah. uh, with the. That uh, sounds uh, like a good idea too. Well, that actually gets to the next topic or discussion item, and that is, you know, how do we. How do we mentor new employees? How do we train them to make sure that we set them up for success? Well, Lori, Ann, and I spend a lot of time talking about mentoring, the importance of mentoring, the importance of making sure, uh, to, to Andre's point, that they're uh, well-prepared for that position. So uh, have at it. Oh, I was going to say there was an article today in Outpatient Surgery Magazine that I just got. Kathy Beidler wrote an article about people who were her important mentors, and she had four or five of them that she said, this is who they were, this is what they did. And I know I have a list of my mentors. You never forget them. If, if I mean, where we all are today is usually thankful. You can thank one or two people that got you there. Shane, what were you going to say? I was going to say, really, you know, it really starts fundamentally at the very beginning when you hire someone, hire good people. And you grow your good people from there because as people have pointed out, if you have one or two bad seeds, 
it destroys the morale and doesn't matter how hard you try, you'll never fix it. So in the very beginning, just, you know, trying to hire, hire up and always manage your people up and, and have consistency within them, you know, your, the, for new employees with certain people and um, reward those folks for the extra effort that they put in preceptor pay or where it may be mm-hmm. for uh, onboarding new employees and making sure that you take the time to meet with those employees periodically. And then not everybody's on a set schedule. Some may take longer, some may take shorter lengths of time to get where they need to be, but just always encourage them. And if they're not making it, then you have to come up with plans to maybe this wasn't the best fit for them and move on. But that's things that I've seen in my career. So You said something important too. You said preceptor pay. Most of the jobs where I've been, preceptors are not rewarded. I don't know about those of you on the call. You've got preceptors, you've hand-selected them, and they're excellent, but they never got recognition, whether it was pay or, and I think that's a great idea, just providing some kind of recognition because they've got that new employee in their hands and they're molding them to fit your culture. And we really need to concentrate on that. I think that's an excellent suggestion. Just to kind of piggyback off of what Shane was just alluding to in that it's, and this is probably true anywhere, but the importance of identifying where that person is right now um, versus where they need to be. You know, I don't think doing a cookie cutter orientation is ever really that beneficial. I think really identifying, you know, where their strengths and weaknesses are, where, you know, and where do you want to go? Where where do you want to be or what, what ideas have you had? So I had one individual, particularly, I hired her for pre-op PACU, and then she started expressing interest in the OR, so I let her start shadowing more and, and, you know, really learning more about that, and now she's just, you know, a rock star in the OR, Uh, so I think it's really cool being able to give folks, uh, you know, that opportunity to to kind of figure out what they want to do within this environment as well. Yeah, and I'm sure she does a much better job there than she would have if she'd stuck out the other, you know, (laughs) stuck in the PACU and not enjoyed it. Basically, what Katie was saying, and, and Anne, so if you do have preceptors or you have someone that's mentoring your new employee, um, have them watch out for morning signs. And what I mean by morning signs is, is yeah, are they happy where they are? Mm-hmm. Or do they shine in a certain spot of that job? Um, yeah. We had a, you know, a young lady that came on and she got hired into the operating room. And, you know, one day I just stood in the hallway you know, by the scrub sink, and I sat on the trash can, and I said, so you're not happy, are you? And she said, well, what do you mean? I said, I can just, you're not happy. I can see that you're not happy. And she's like, no, I miss the patients. I miss, you know, she was it used to be in labor and delivery and stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, we had another area in our center that I, you know, was able to transition her over to where the patients were awake, alert the entire time. And she just was in her element. Oh, and it's okay. just, you know, so it's it's not always, you know, whether they're going to succeed or not, but just to keep an eye on them and get those cues. You know, it's so important because they might put on the happy face for their preceptor, but, mm. you know, sometimes it's your job or your nurse manager's job or whatever to, to be looking around the corner and just, just looking at, you know, we're really good at looking at eyes now. You know, operating room staff can always tell by 
you know, we knew what the surgeons were thinking and, and anesthesia by looking in each other's eye, but now everybody in the in your whole center knows because that's all they see is the eyes. So you you can tell when someone's eyes are not happy or yeah. just the way they're walking. You know, that's so a great it, point, just, Lori. That way you you don't. Yeah, so you see so that way you don't lose that person. Mm-hmm. And yeah, maybe it ends up not working out. And like Katie said, it you know having you know you've got three weeks for this and three weeks for that. No, that's that's not the way. You know that's how it used to be in the hospitals and whatnot. You can't do that. You know people are people, and you've got to respect what their their limits are. And you know someone might be better in two weeks, or they might need four weeks. You know, so you have to be willing to to bend and flow and use pencil. Ah, my favorite thing, besides iced tea. <laughs> yeah, you're probably driving to a Dunkin' Donuts right now. Um, no, you don't have the, this part of New York. Don't. <laughs> I did want to uh, point out something to it. We are uh, we got about 18 minutes left to uh, to talk, so uh, we have to be careful about our time here. But uh, you know, think a little bit about students too and interns. You know, and our surgery center before I, I did this full-time as a consultant we uh, we had a summer intern program my own daughter who now of course works for our company uh, she came in she was thinking that she was going to become an anesthesiologist she got smart when she actually did a summer internship over at the surgery center she fell in love with nursing and and one of the things that we did we you know obviously we had we made them work hard you know they were discharging patients they were scanning they had all kinds of grunt work behind the scenes but one thing we were very careful about is making sure that they had an opportunity to shadow everybody and to be able to spend time in different parts of the uh, the practice and and that is not the only story uh, that we have of, of summer interns that went on to to, uh, to work in the surgery center or at least the healthcare field afterwards. So uh, keep in mind, uh, open up those opportunities. There's always great opportunities during the summer to uh, you know keep some uh, high school or college students, make sure it's age appropriate, of course, employed to kind of give a benefit to your employees uh, as well as to the student and then to give them an opportunity to perhaps see and experience what it's like to work in a surgery center. John, mm-hmm. another place that works is within the business office. If you can, if you can partner with a technical school, they need places where they can get experience. Their students do, and if you can get them to come into your center and rotate through the business office, you can always, you can almost always hand select people that you really like from those programs. Yeah, I'm currently teaching, or I just finished a semester teaching at a, a local four-year degree college, and they have um, been reaching out to me. I, I feel bad because I have not had an opportunity to connect with the uh, the person who's doing this, but uh, they're looking for people that are in health in- information or health administration for uh, internship positions. You know, probably not going to be clinical, but as we've talked about, it's not just clinical people that we're trying to recruit yeah. right now. Uh, so I'll, I'll definitely reach out soon. But think about developing those relationships. If you have uh, employees that, uh, you know, work at a local university, you're going to have a little bit better opportunity to see that. But uh, definitely reach out to any of those organizations that might have a program uh, that's looking for uh, interns. I, I am passionate that the, the persons that you choose as your preceptors or your mentors, that not just do they want to do it, but that they are qualified to do it. Yeah. Because there's a lot of people that might say, yeah, I'll do it, um, and and not be a really good fit for that. Um, I was at a center the other day, and they had a surgical tech student um, in the room. And 
and I was observing the case. And, you know, there was two people scrubbed with the surgeon. One was kind of assisting a bit. The other one was, um, you know, passing the instruments. And the, the student was next to the passer. And there she was with the male almost at her, you know, clavicle. And I'm just like beside myself thinking, does, does, nobody, does nobody see this picture of, of everything is above her? So the sterile field is no longer sterile. And, you know, I, I finally had to step in. It, it's not my place. Just say, please give her a step stool because she's contaminating the whole field. You know, and it's not the student's fault. Right. Yeah. You're you right. know, it really, it really, really isn't. It's not that person that's learning's fault if they're being allowed to do it wrong. You know, yeah. so it was just uh, uh, an opportunity to talk with the nurse manager and just let her know, this is what I saw. I did step in, but I'm not going to compromise that surgeon and his team and point out that they're not doing something right. I just, you know, got her the step stool and had her stand on it. But, you know, it's just things like that, that, that you don't want someone leaving your center either, but doing things the wrong way. Because now that's going to reflect on your center as well. Yeah, so it's a catch twenty-two. So let's talk about uh, about education also a little bit here. You know, we talked about mentoring, but making sure we provide uh, education that we do our uh, mandatory education. I, I I have found, especially after COVID, that the rush to, to hire people, the the feeling, well, you know, if they've got a heartbeat, then we'll hire them, and then let's just put them to work that first day. Such a dangerous situation, and and uh, we understand the doctors wanting to get somebody, you know, uh, you know, boots on the ground right away. But any uh, observations about how long it takes? You know, what you do in those first couple of days? We talked about the importance of of making it a very inviting environment. But what are what do some people do during those first couple of days of their employment? So my approach has been, I guess, more hybrid where, um, you know, there's, there's always that first day of orientation that they have to get their HR um, topics out of the way. But then um, day two, they're, they're shadowing on the floor. They're, they're already starting hands on because I know I can't sit and, and listen or, or read something for too long yeah. without, you know, starting to, to you know, go cross-eyed. Um, so what I have started doing is asking, you know, how many days or hours even can you dedicate towards learning <laughs> yeah. um, and, and, and building it up that way? Uh, so at least one day a week for the first month they spend, um, I, I've signed them up for, you know, the ARN uh, courses and things like that, uh, just to get familiar with what the expectations are in an ASC. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, but not, it's not, you know, uh, a consistent classroom setting. It's very uh, staggered um, throughout their beginning weeks. So they can absorb some things. Mm-hmm. Um, go ahead, Shane. I was going to cover most of that, but we buy reference texts that they can take home, mm-hmm. berries and cones and Alexander's. And then also videos of uh, real-time surgeries like YouTube and um, oh. the platform that we use. It's very similar to ARN. <clears throat> so they and we also have a reference library. I bought different any kind of surgery you do. I tried to buy a reference text to that. So even the seasoned staff can go and if there's something we've not done or need to be refamiliarized with, they have the opportunity to, to learn about it before the case is um, performed. It's a great idea. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, it's, you know, even with simple things like YouTube now, you can learn anything. I mean, it's how I replace batteries in my remotes. I don't know how to can't find <laughs> instruction manuals anymore, but uh, there's a YouTube video for everything. Yeah, don't underestimate the power of your staff. Um, yeah. I have found that many of my staff love to educate on on specific topics. Mm-hmm. Uh, my rad techs, they love to do, you know, the radiation safety uh, yeah. education on any new um, employee and even start, they'll start teaching about some of the uh, procedures and what's expected. So, um, you know, definitely utilize them. How about uh, paying for uh, people to uh, either attend conferences or, uh, of course, we're a virtual conference company, so uh, hopefully people are using some of our virtual conferences too, but uh, uh, do you have healthy budgets? Do you uh, have a challenge in getting your owners to give you a budget? How about up there in Oregon? How's it going up in Oregon? Um, Well, we did get them um, this past year to approve a group membership for AORN. Oh, good. Um, uh, both all... local and national, or I mean, do you have a local? Uh, well, not anywhere very close. Uh, yeah. Portland probably is the closest, and that's how far away. About four mm. and a half. Yeah. Four and a half hour. Oh, yeah. Well, and, um, and I guess you could probably think about like getting your own group together. I don't know how oh, much work true. that would be, but that, you know, I... I well, there's an e-chapter at... now, though. If once they are members of AORN, you can select your chapter as the e-chapter. And you don't have to go to meetings yeah. anymore. I mean, they, they're all online. And, um, oh, okay. Yeah. And yeah, is there a the way e-chapter. to... Do you know how much work it is to uh, to set up a, a local chat? Yeah, because here's what I'm thinking, and I remember doing this back in the 90s even, is uh, our surgery center, um, uh, we actually volunteered to be the site for some of the meetings. Didn't always work out, but is it difficult to set up a local chapter, in? It is, John, because what's happened, I used I was a chapter president for six years in South Carolina, and it became harder and harder for people to get to the meetings. Okay. And subsequently, this was in the 90s, and subsequently AORN created this e-chapter, and it pretty much destroyed local chapters because at that point people said why should we go to a meeting when we can participate online i think e-chapter is the biggest chapter out there now oh wow they have their own officers and everything yeah and it depends on how many centers or and hospitals excuse me that you have in the area as to whether you could support a chapter yeah because there are dues that you have dues that you have to pay you have to elect officers and if you don't have a, a a large pool to choose from, it becomes very onerous for the center that's trying to do it. But with that said, I don't know, does um, Oregon have an ASC association or does the Northwest Corridor have? They do. It's like, Mm -hmm. they absolutely, you have an active um, ASC association. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, I've spoken at your meeting when it was in Portland a couple of times. You have an active group, and that's that would be a great resource for you all to be yeah, involved yeah. in. Yeah, definitely. And Oregon just passed a um, a bill. I'm not sure. I think it was back in 2017, 2016, 2017. They they passed the law that um, all surgical techs had to be certified mm-hmm. um, or grandfathered in. And so we've had a horrible time trying to find yeah. techs. We have no yeah. schools in the area. It's just been, uh, I mean, just yeah. a dearth of techs. And if, so they anyway, let their, to, if they let it lapse, then they'd have to start all over. Right. And yeah. um, 
and we're not the only ones in this. I mean, it's all over the state except right. for in the right. Portland area. So they just passed a bill um, that uh, they're going to start a, another like an apprenticeship program okay. um, that ASCs can. It's more like on the job training, but the applicants will they'll do probably online classes, you know, to, to get certified. Mm-hmm. Um, and that'll be starting hopefully in the fall, maybe the first part of next year, wow. uh, because we're just, we're just dying up here. I mean, there are no techs to be had. We have two techs in our center. Um, mm-hmm. the past year to year and a half, um, we've been using, um, a couple RNs to scrub, um, because yep. we only have two techs and yeah. we have three ORs and an endo suite. So, yeah. um, it's been it's been pretty rough. Well, and that's one thing that I would point out too. In when in in those states, um, it, it happened in New York. I can't remember how many years ago. Good six, seven, eight years ago. And a lot of our rural not, not many people know this, but much or if not most of New York is actually rural. And uh, the southern, the northern part of the state in particular had a real problem, just like you have in Oregon there, of uh, finding uh, techs and and even having a school up in those remote areas. Uh, but what they were able to do in our state is that they did have an exemption put or exception put into the rules that if you could prove that you were trying to recruit and then were unable to recruit somebody, as long as you could prove that you provided that education to those people, uh, to the to the uh, techs, you would be able to to hire them. So something you might want to fight for. And then just getting back to this whole issue about getting your getting involved with your state association, so important. I mean, it's important to be part of ASC Association. Please do join. But if you have a state association, and I hate to say it this way, but I really think being a member of your state association is just as if not yes, a little bit more important than uh, joining the yeah. If you have to, if you only have enough money to, buy, to, to join one, I'd say the state. And, and uh, I, I'm looking, uh, I, it's too bad that we're doing this uh, a recording because I'm looking around here and uh, everybody's nodding their heads. But Shane, I know you've took, taken on a major role with your state association. And uh, can you just talk a little bit about the importance of, and how difficult it is to bring people together for these meetings? Yeah. So I was going to, the same company, uh, Virginia is going through what Oregon went through a few years ago with the surgical text. They just, the governor is probably going to sign the bill and it's going to go into effect in October. So I actually reached out to your, or your uh, state association reached out to me because I'm the current president of the Virginia state association. And uh, I sent out an email on LinkedIn last night trying to recruit people to help because currently we have a very small board and we're, you know, we have about 50 or so surgery centers in Virginia and um, try to get as a grassroots effort to try to get more engagement. Uh, we do try to pr- uh, produce a conference annually, typically in September, but it's been a struggle. And but it's very important because this legislation snick, snuck up on us and no one really knew about it until it was already through the house. So, um, right. and I think it was the same company that did that in Oregon is doing it in other states as well. So I think networking is key among, yeah. you know, among the state associations and and within your state. So. I think Simon Schwartz used to oversee that. He was one of their executive directors, John. I don't know if he still is, but um, Oregon has an active association. And mm-hmm. if it was me, that'd be the only, I mean, that's who I'd be working through to try to get that overturned. Because yeah. in their infinite wisdom, they created a, an impossible situation. And, and nobody, you know, once they've done it, they walk away from it. Yeah. 
Or if not over please have reasonable, you know, uh, uh, exemptions or exceptions put into the into the legislation there. Now, you guys, um, do you have high school or high schools in the area that have um, like like tech programs? As in, you know, uh, back in the back in the day, um, at my high school, we it was called BOCES, and uh, your junior and senior year, you would do half half classes and the other half you would learn a a trade we we put out dental hygienists we had lpns we had cosmetologists yeah you know all that stuff and you know if there's if you have a school in the area that has programs like that maybe it would be worth talking to them about a surgical tech program Mm -hmm. that's a good Um, idea yeah. You know, it's just it's just something to think about. But but again, like John said, your state association is going to fight for what your state needs. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. You know, the, the bigger association is going to fight for all, but not focus on the things that are more pertinent to individual state. They'll help you. Those trade schools used to be really the popular. My sister did that in high school. California. Yeah, because, you know, you go to school half a day and then you learn a trade the other half. When you graduate from high school, you've got a job. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, I would uh, like to uh, thank everybody. This has been great. And we're not going to we're going to keep doing this sort of thing. I I appreciate everybody's input. Again, I'd like to encourage everybody. Great ideas. Join in on our uh, Saturday sessions if you're a patron member. If you're not a patron member, don't forget to go to ASCPodcast.com and become a patron member. And remember, if you uh, join one of our boot camps, uh, we have the next one coming up in May, which is the Director of Nursing Boot Camp. You automatically became a, become a member, a patron member. I want to thank all of my uh, panelists here. We'll put everybody's names, if, if they're willing to put their names down, in the show notes here. And again, thanks so much for your time. We would like to thank our sponsors, Surgical Information Systems, providing cutting-edge information solutions for surgery providers, and Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies, the nation's leading regulatory compliance resource for ambulatory surgery centers. For more information about our sponsors, visit our website at ASCPodcast.com. This podcast has been an educational and operational tool and is not intended to be a comprehensive resource for all rules, regulations, and standards that an ambulatory surgery center must meet. The advice provided should not be considered as nor does it constitute legal advice or opinion. When reviewing specific situations involving legal and regulatory issues, attorneys and other professionals should be consulted. This has been a production of Eden Group Development. All rights are reserved. If you're interested in advertising or sponsoring the ASC podcast with John Gailey, please email us at info at ASCPodcast.com. We would love to hear your questions and comments. Please email us at comments at ASCPodcast.com.